History, economics, the great works of literature, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, like I did, maybe it's time for a refresher. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it as America. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, you heard me, for free. You don't get anything free in the Biden economy today. I personally recommend you sign up for the American Citizenship and its Decline. It's with my good friend, the great historian, Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, VDH, as I like to call him, explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and Its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free and it's easy to get started and it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews. Good evening, America, and welcome to this Just the News, Real America's Voice news special securing our elections, and protecting your vote. In concert with our partners tonight at Heritage Action for America, we are going to be bringing you up to date on newly discovered election integrity issues across this country. Over the last few months since our last special, there have been confirmation of several irregularities and vulnerabilities in America's voting systems, and those have raised concerns about future elections. Wisconsin's top court, for instance, ruled tens of thousands of people unlawfully skipped voter ID requirements on absentee ballots. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, documents show election officials were cast aside so that a political operative could run the show. And in Georgia, memos released by the Secretary of State exposed that there were widespread problems in Atlanta voting, from potential double counting to serious chain of custody and privacy violations. We're going to tell you what states, legislatures, and members of Congress are doing to make sure we don't have a repeat of 2020 in next year's election. Now, starting us off tonight, we are blessed to have with us Senator Ron Johnson from the great state of Wisconsin. He's here to tell us what's been going on in the Senate with a Democratic effort to federalize elections. Senator Johnson, it is so good to have you joining us tonight. Happy to be with you there, John. Yes, it's a lot going on. And um, in the House, the Democrats have already passed H.R. 1, a bill that you and many Republicans say is an unconstitutional power grab. And now that law is in the Senate where it looks like it has run into roadblocks and won't go anywhere. But why that is, tell us why you believe this legislation is bad for America. Well, first of all, it's uh, another Orwellian name bill in the long line of Democrat bills like the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act that really has nothing to do with the title for the People's Act. Uh, it has nothing to do with voting rights. It has everything to do with consolidating power on the Democratic Party for years and, and decades to come. Uh, Consolidating their control over the over the government, which means controlling, uh, consolidating control over each individual American's life. So, again, d Democrats can't be honest in terms of what they're actually trying to do. But one thing that you can rest assured of is anything they do is all about accumulating and maintaining more and more power. 
Yeah, that really has been your concern. You've really been talking about that. One of the things that's interesting, the founding fathers obviously in the Constitution gave the state legislatures the authority to set rules for their elections in their states. This law essentially gives the feds a veto right over that power, that uh, there are things that they're just not going to allow states to do, even though the Constitution has said. Is that one of the big fundamental differences between the Republicans and Democrats on this bill? Well, again, I think Republicans want to make voting easy, but cheating hard. And when you look at the details of this bill, it seems like what Democrats are primarily interested in is making cheating easy. Um, you know, there's a reason we have our, our, our founding fathers and their genius uh, left saying the times, places, and manners of election to the states is because, first of all, it's the more democratic process, government close to the government, where it's more accountable, it's more efficient, it's more effective. But in today's world, uh, it also improves election security as well. So if you put the federal government in charge of everything, uh, again, they will gut things like voter ID laws. Uh, they're going to make it more difficult to maintain accurate voter files. They're going to require ballot harvesting. So just about everything in this bill is going to make it easier for people to commit election fraud at a moment in history where what we should be doing is trying to restore confidence in the legitimacy and integrity of our election system. This is an unsustainable state of affairs, John, where no matter what the result, half of Americans are basically saying that they don't believe that the president's legitimately elected. Right. This can't go on. The only way to stop it is we need to honestly assess, for example, the irregularities of the 2020 election, and we need to tighten up control so that people have confidence in the result. Yeah, that is exactly it. We've had two elections in a row where, where either one side or the other has doubted the outcome, and we shouldn't have that problem. Uh, one of the big differences between the parties is over voter ID. Democrats are calling it Jim Crow and uh, voter repression. Republicans and three-quarters of Americans in polls actually see it as a necessary safeguard against cheating. Do you think this issue is going to get resolved? And, and if so, how? Well, again, I, I hope that uh, the states like Wisconsin have a voter ID law. In effect, will be able to maintain it. It's one of the main reasons to oppose this bill. And you're right, the vast majority of Americans want to have confidence in our elections. And they realize that one of the ways to have confidence in our elections is don't let people that aren't uh, eligible to vote, vote. Don't let them cheat. Uh, but again, that's that's what the Democrats are pushing. You know, it was the Baker-Carter Commission uh, yeah. that talked about how absentee balloting is probably the, the number one area where a fraud can occur. And yet what the Democrats have been pushing is expanding it way beyond absentee balloting, uh, basically mandatory mail-in balloting, uh, while at the same time reducing the controls over that type of process, which, of course, just set us up for you know, all, all the turmoil over the 2020 election result. So again, re Republicans want to restore confidence in our election system. Democrats are doing everything they can to reduce confidence, including, for example, in 2020, observers that couldn't observe. Uh, now they're challenging the forensic audits. Why? If you were that confident in the, in the election result, why wouldn't you be right there with your Republican colleagues and say, yeah, but let's, let's take a look at this. Let's prove that this was a legitimate count. But they're doing the exact opposite. They're trying to undermine these uh, you know, post-election forensic audits. They ought to be fully supportive of if they really are confident that it was a, a secure and safe and legitimate election. Yeah, it is such an important issue. And even in your home state, the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that many people were wrongly allowed to exempt themselves from voter ID when mailing in their absentee ballots 
by just saying, hey, because of COVID, I feel like I'm an invalid. I can't leave my house. So I'm not going to comply with the law. And the Wisconsin Supreme Court has now ruled that was uh, an, an inappropriate exemption. Do you think and are you heartened by what you're seeing many of these state legislatures do to try to tighten up the rules and address some of the things that the widespread absentee uh, ballot expansion of 2020 uh, created? I am encouraged by it, and I think Americans should applaud their efforts. I mean, this is where election integrity will be restored at the state level. Uh, but again, what you're seeing is Democrats and the media undermine these, these legitimate attempts to uh, take a look at what happened, uh, enact laws to reinstitute appropriate controls, and continue to allow people to uh, be able to exercise their franchise and vote. Um, it's it's just not going to work if people don't have confidence in our election system. Yeah, such an important thing. And that's all that I think uh, most Americans want. They want to restore that co uh, confidence. And so we're really lucky. Uh, I want to take it to one last place. In, in where we are this moment, we are now with really super partisanship. Uh, the sides are staked out. It's funny, Americans, at least on the issue of voter ID and integrity, are aligned with the Republicans in a large way. Is there any chance for compromise? Is there anything that can happen in the Senate, in the House, that would uh, improve uh, making voting easier and, and cheating harder that, that could maybe be pulled off before the 2022 election? I mean, I, I doubt it because there's such a huge split because Republicans want to make cheating hard. Democrats want to make cheating easy. So I, I don't know where that where the compromise is there. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing voters are going to also hate this bill, too, is uh, uh, having their taxpayer money go to fund campaigns. Uh, $6 federal funding, taxpayer funding for every dollar that uh, candidates uh, raise through low dollar donors. Right. Uh, so, so you're forcing people to support candidates and policies and ideologies that they utterly oppose. Uh, that, that's not going to go over well, very well either. Yeah, no, those are the sort of things that make people even more distrustful. Senator, we are so grateful for your time, all the efforts that you did. And we have to remind viewers, last year at the, during the middle of the election dispute, you were there with your committee trying to get, create facts and get people to understand what was going on. And I think the American public greatly appreciates that effort. Well, I appreciate all the work you've done as well. Take care. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. All right, folks, that was Senator Ron Johnson from the great state of Wisconsin, where I spent eight years of my career. We're going to go to quick commercial break. When we come back, get ready for a big flyover. We're going to take a look with Jessica Anderson uh, from the Heritage Action for America team. She's going to show us all the things that are going on in the states to reform what happened in 2020. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. 
Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Now, across the country, many states are making legislative changes or auditing election results to figure out how they can make voting easier and cheating harder. We can all support that. Now, our partners at Heritage Action for America, who have helped sponsor this show, are right in the middle of that effort. And joining us right now is Jessica Anderson, the executive director of Heritage Action, to give us an update on the progress being made in all those states. Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. It is an honor to have you on. And I want to start off with a question that I think a lot of people are asking. Four or five months ago, there seemed to be very few legislatures that were dialed in and and understood the issues that went on in 2020, maybe have been going on for years. And now, you know, you see the audits in Arizona and Georgia, you're seeing legislative action. How heartened are you that um, in this moment now, legislators in many states are taking a look at their laws, at their practices, kind of reclaiming the power that the founding fathers gave them in the Constitution. Well, I'm so encouraged. And it's not without really hard work from both governors, state legislators, and incredible grassroots activists that are on the ground that have really given so much energy around this issue of election integrity and securing the vote and and restoring that trust in the ballot box. And I think the energy going into January was, okay, what do we need to do to ensure that there aren't vulnerabilities in our state election laws? How do we support governors and state legislatures to get this legislation across the finish line? And then how do we take that chorus of support and defend these state bills, like what they've been able to do in Georgia and Iowa and Arizona and Florida, and champion them so that other states are then inspired to take that same action heading into the 2022 legislative cycle this coming year? Yeah, that's really key. It's it's clear that people are leaning into the next election and, and really committing themselves to not having a repeat of what happened in 2020, where a lot of Americans have, have raised doubt about what went on. Uh, these legislatures have been taking a lot of work, whether it's in Texas and Florida, uh, in uh, Wisconsin, there's now actions going on. Uh, give us a little sense of what these legal law changes that are happening, what, what they're doing and what they're aiming to fix. So the entire goal is to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat and to do that in a way that is systematic across the state. So the reforms look like everything from verifying the accuracy and the basically cleaning up voter registration lists to preventing vote trafficking or what we call ballot harvesting, ensuring that only citizens are the eligible voters that vote on election day, requiring voter ID where it's not in place, limiting absentee ballots or providing security protections, just like a car title would, around absentee ballots as they travel through the mail, prohibiting the early vote counting. I mean, that's where you see so much fraud, the potential for fraud to happen when you have counting ballots well before election day. And then finally, the thing that I've been really encouraged to see is the work that these state legislators have done around around allowing election observers to have complete access to the election process, and then ensuring that states don't allow for the private dollars and private interference from people like Mark Zuckerberg to influence our elections. So it's a whole host of reforms. And we saw this with the omnibus that Georgia put through. Iowa, Arizona has been individual piecemeal bills. 
And the Texas legislature, of course, is still working on getting their full package across the finish line. But we think this special session that Governor Abbott has called in Texas will hopefully bring that to an end. And then you got to hand it to Governor DeSantis for getting that done in record time in the state of Florida. And Florida has a long and rich history on election reform after the hanging election of 2000. And so it's it's fascinating to watch how quickly they moved. Now, one of the things that you see in the media a lot, Democrats and their allies in the press are claiming that all these laws, these changes that are occurring in the state amount to voting right restrictions. I see that word almost every day in a headline that some people call Jim Crow suppression. Uh, I want you to respond to that. Is anything in the laws that you've seen really aimed at suppressing votes? No, not at all. And and those sorts of tactics, those smear tactics, I mean, this is the progressive left grasping at straws because they're unwilling to debate and actually recognize the merits of these bills. Let's look at Georgia, for instance. That was really the inflection point of this whole date of this whole um, process for these state reforms. After the Georgia bill passed, Stacey Abrams, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, they all doubled down and said this was suppression. When you actually look at the Georgia bill, not only did it add additional days of Sunday voting, but it put drop boxes that make it easier for people to vote actually into law. Drop boxes weren't even in the state of Georgia before That's the right. 2020 election. So it, it's, it's kind of a joke when you look at or an orchestrated uh, narrative, when you look at how the progressive left is talking about these bills, completely alienated from the truth on the ground. And so they they grab these smear tactics because they don't know what else to say. But I got to tell you, John, the American people, they are smart enough to, to look at the bills themselves, to understand how these governors are making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And the average American does not want, they don't want their vote stolen. They don't want to feel any sort of vulnerability or security risk when they're in the ballot box. And these are the types of legislative fixes that hopefully will return that security back to the ballot box in time for the 2022 midterm elections, which yeah. are just and around the corner. It really is. It's hard to believe it is already. And, you know, one of the things is polls show an enormous support among Americans for things like voter ID. Uh, the, yes. the, those who oppose it are running into the tide of the will of the American people. Now, we got about a minute left. I want to ask you, as we head into summer, what are the states that we should be watching most closely? Where, where do you think some of the new action, the most exciting things may occur in the next few months? So I would keep an eye on Texas as their special session is called either in July or August. Keep an eye on Wisconsin and an eye on Michigan. Obviously, there's huge political implications with what they do in Michigan. And then Pennsylvania is going to be an interesting one as they put their election reform package together and try to move it. What is of note, though, John, is that a lot of these legislatures are part time. So many of them will go home by the end of the summer and then they'll come back around in January of 2022. And we hope to see new action from other states across the country to put these securities in place. And you can follow all of this along at our website, saveourelections.com, or you can text VOTE to 51776 and stay updated on all of this state progress. Yeah, two amazing tools. We use them here at Just the News and we love it. Jessica, I can't thank you enough and Heritage Action enough for helping make tonight possible and also for giving us such a critical update. Really appreciate that. Thanks for having me, John. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you. All right, folks, when we come back, we're going to have, as the great Ray Charles used to sing, a little bit of Georgia on our minds. Joining us next is Bob Cheeley, the lawyer approved by a court to conduct an audit of absentee ballots in Georgia's largest voting metropolis, the city of Atlanta and the surrounding Fulton County. We'll be right back. 
folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge your signature on a home sale form. Then he or she refiles as the new owner and bam, your home is not in your name and all of a sudden debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at signup. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Just last week, my Just the News colleague Daniel Payne and I broke a series of stories about election integrity problems inside Fulton County, the county that includes the city of Atlanta. Records we obtained from Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger's office show the handwritten tallies for absentee counting in Atlanta displayed evidence of double counting in large gaps in the sequence numbers given to the batches of ballots run through the machines. The latter has raised questions about unaccounted for or missing ballots. We also obtained a 29-page memo from Raffsenberger's Observer on election night in Atlanta, who reported widespread concerns about double scanning of ballots, insecure storage and transportation of ballots, the qualifications, trainings, and even the motives of the vote-counting workers. And in his own words, he just saw a massive chain of custody issue. Joining us now is Bob Cheeley, a man who knows a lot about these issues. He's the Georgia lawyer approved by a state court to audit Fulton County's absentee ballots. Uh, Mr. Cheeley, welcome to the show. Hello, John. Good to be with you. And it's an honor to have you on. You've been at this for now several weeks, working very hard. And I wonder if you can start by giving us a quick progress update on all that has happened at the audit. You even had a court hearing yesterday. Bring us up to speed on what we're learning. All right. A, a month ago today, on May 21st, Judge uh, Brian Amaro, who's presiding over this case from Henry County, entered an order which uh, unsealed the absentee ballots for an audit to, to uh, commence. Uh, a week later, Fulton County filed a motions to dismiss, claiming uh, that uh, we don't have a right to uh, assert any claims for denial of equal protection and due process. And uh, those motions were heard yesterday by Judge Amaro. The, uh, the, the hearing lasted about two hours, and uh, the judge agreed at the end of the hearing or stated at the end of the hearing that uh, he wanted to take this matter under advisement and would be issuing an order in the next few days. So that's where we are. We're waiting to commence the audit and uh, for him to, uh, we've asked him to deny Fulton County's motions to dismiss and uh, allow the truth to come out. Yeah, that's all that everyone wants. We just want the truth and the facts. And I know you've been fighting hard to get that out of a county. It seems a hard time giving us a straight story. 
Um, you've seen the ballot tally sheets used during the, the counting and the recount. Tell us why the double counting, the missing number sequences, and the other things that you've seen in these tally sheets trouble you so much. Well, the double counting violates the basic principle of our democracy, one citizen, one vote. And uh, none of us like to think that uh, somebody's either getting more than their share of one man, one vote, or less than one man, one vote. And the multiple scanning of ballots uh, smacks at the very heart of our democracy uh, by undermining uh, the will of the people. Yeah, such an important point. It should be one vote uh, per person, and that's all we're aiming for. When you look at the fact that there also appears to be large sequence gaps, uh, that I guess has raised the question, we don't know for certain, but raised the question that there could be ballots that are missing or unaccounted for or that weren't run through the machine. Uh, what are your experts and, and the folks that are working with you uh, tell you about that? Well, after the hand recount audit from November, uh, the Fulton County certified the total number of ballots that were counted, absentee ballots. And uh, so there's uh, a term called batches. Batches right. are groups of 100 right. ballots. And Fulton County turned in a total of 1,283. That was the highest number of batches that were counted. So multiply 1,283 times 100, and that's uh, 128,300 ballots. Well, if you take the time, if somebody at Fulton County or the Secretary of State had taken the time to look through each one of those ballot tally sheets, uh, batch tally sheets, they would have seen that, okay, you've got batch number one here summarized on this sheet, and then the last page would have been batch number 1,283. If you took the time to go through each of those pages, uh, you would see that there was about 174 batches missing. That's 17,400 ballots uh, that are just unaccounted for. And so all you have to do is be able to count to see that these batches are missing. And we want to know where they are. Yeah. Such an important question. And we went through the same ballot sheets. And, sir, we saw the exact same thing that you and your team has. And uh, thus far, neither Fulton, uh, Fulton County nor the state can explain uh, where those documents are. Now, in January, Secretary of State Raffensperger declared on national TV that Georgia's election was extremely well run. But you've seen the 29-page memo his own contractor wrote about the irregularities in Atlanta. What struck you most about the memo's contents and the contractor's observations of what happened on election night? Well, it, uh, the thing that was shocking was that in the 29-page report, Carter Jones, the appointed monitor for the Fulton County election, personally observed the multiple scanning of batches by Fulton County's election workers, yet uh, Mr. Raffensperger made no mention of that on his 60 Minutes interview, that his own monitor had seen this, uh, and they did nothing about it. So that should have raised a red flag, in my opinion, that they should have more closely scrutinized the submission of the audit, audited, the uh, risk-limiting audit results from Fulton County. They should have gone in to see what my expert found. Uh, were there any examples of multiple scans of these batches? And we, our expert found three, uh, 30 different uh, situations where the same batches were scanned in at least twice and some as many as five times. Yeah, such an amazing thing. And there's other discussions in there about 
the motives, the intentions of the workers, uh, ballots being put in carts, not in secure boxes, uh, people's private voting information visible on tables. Um, when you look at uh, what the evidence that's already now in the record, do you have a high degree of confidence that people can trust the vote that was uh, counted in Atlanta in Fulton County? Uh, well, to quote my grandfather, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for it. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's horrendous. Yeah. And uh, that's why we need an audit. And uh, we'll, in that audit, we've got uh, 10 certified document examiners lined up to analyze each of the 147,000 or whatever the number is of uh, paper absentee ballots to see if those ballots were filled out with a uh, person's uh, hand or with a printer. And uh, we, have a, uh, we have people that saw the, during the hand recount, many of these ballots uh, had never been folded, so there was no crease. Uh, they should have been in an envelope. That's a dead giveaway. And then the, we also, these people saw that uh, these ovals out beside the candidates' names had been perfectly filled in with a white space in the middle. Yes. And that's impossible. Yes. Yeah, no, it's a remarkable thing. Well, Mr. Cheeley, we're going to be following your audit. It's so essential for the American people to uh, get the truth of what happened in uh, Fulton County. I want to thank you for the update you gave us today. Thank you, John. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. Before we do, though, I want you to watch this message from our partners, Heritage Action. President Biden is lying about Georgia's new election reform. Even the Washington Post caught him in his lies. This new ethics law doubles early voting on weekends. Voting on two Saturdays, guaranteed. And if you'd rather vote after church on Sunday, you still can. Absentee voting is strengthened. All absentees will now be on watermark security paper, like a car title, with voter ID required. So you know every vote counts the same one time. To provide a pressure-free voting experience, special interest groups are kicked out of polling places and counties can still provide water for people waiting in line. That's the truth. Read it yourself. And don't fall for the lies by those who want to divide us. In America, our vote is our voice. We need to make sure it is easy to vote, but hard to cheat. To do your part, join Heritage Action today. Paid for by Heritage Action for America. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down. And my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order 
plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick House Nutrition and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Here at Just the News and Real America's Voice, we've done a lot of reporting on the $350 million Mark Zuckerberg donated last election. Now, it didn't go to candidates or political parties. Rather, it went to the neutral local election judges and referees who run our elections. Now, joining us now is someone who saw the impact of that money firsthand. Sandy Juno, the retired elections chief for Brown County, Wisconsin. That's the county that surrounds and includes the city of Green Bay. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an honor. Um, first off, just tell us, how long did you serve as an elections director and a county clerk in, in Brown County in Green Bay? Um, I was involved with elections for Brown County for 20, uh, 22 years. Uh, the last eight I spent as county clerk. Wow. So you have a lot of experience. Elections were your expertise, right? Yes. <laughs> we had to make it that. Yes, uh, such an important job. And, and you know, we, we just take for granted when we go to vote that there's someone there that's going to make sure that it works. And you were that person in Brown County and Green Bay, and we're, we're grateful for that. Uh, last year, Green Bay was awarded a large grant from the Zuckerberg-funded Center for Tech and Civic Life, and it, money was sent to them, uh, allegedly, to run the election during the pandemic. How did that change last November's election in your county in the city of Green Bay? Once that money was accepted by the city of Green Bay, um, what happened was the mayor's office and chief of staff began to take over election functions. And that is not something under state statutes they have the authority to do because under Wisconsin law, municipal clerks, the county clerks, and Wisconsin Elections Commission are the individuals charged with running elections. Wow. So basically a power grab from people who didn't have the legal authority to do, to do so. You, um, you testified recently during a legislative committee hearing that what you witnessed over the final weeks of the 2020 election made you sick to your stomach. Tell us a little bit about what you actually witnessed that made you feel like the election was off the rails. Well, with COVID, you know, all of the elections to begin with, you know, were constantly, you never knew what your next step was going to be because between um, the federal and the state operatives, you know, telling people, you know, to vote absentee or, you know, we had a decline in poll workers. But as we got closer to the November election um, and we found out that this outside group had come in and was basically um, trying to redo um, our forms and um, documents that we use statewide. And these people were from out of state and had no business doing that. So they're beginning to get involved with things that they didn't have the expertise. They were working primarily with our five major um, Democratic-based cities. So they're breaking the inconsistency of documents and processes and procedures used statewide. And that's, that's initially, um, you know, where you start to get frustrated because as clerks, we meet with our state elections commission um, at least three times a year and have continuous and ongoing correspondence with them. So 
so that, you know, the whole state is conducting the elections in harmony. So when you have an outside group coming in and all of a sudden trying to dictate how to run an election, and these people were all from out of state. They had no expertise in Wisconsin law for processes and procedures in conducting an election. Yeah, and that's got right. to the point. Yeah, got to the point in Green Bay where um, the municipal clerk was just totally frustrated, and she did not feel like she could get any support from you know her superiors to um, remove some of these people from the process, so she could implement the city of Green Bay's election plan. It is just remarkable to hear that. First of all, if you've got a quarter century, nearly a quarter century of expertise yourself, uh, the city election officials are there specifically to run an election, and all of a sudden someone using private money uh, comes in and inserts their own team with no connection to Wisconsin, no connection to the law, the history, the processes that are in place. Do you think that it had any effect on the integrity of the counting, the integrity of the voting process? Was it just a power grab, or do you think that it calls into question how votes were counted and, and uh, uh, gathered in the, in the final days of the election? I think it had an impact on the overall election because poll workers that were hired were hired outside of the city clerk's office. Um, and we had people that were from out of state that were actually setting up our central pump polling location. Um, on the contract was authorized to get four of the five keys um, to our central count voting location, as well as they had um, a private internet line that wasn't accessible to anyone except given individuals. So at the very least, it causes you to have a lot of suspicions as to what was going on. Um, when you have these people coming in from outside, changing things, because uh, previously, uh, Central Count was done at City Hall, where it had oversight from the city clerk and her staff. Um, we had this outsider from Brooklyn, New York, come in and move it over to um, a convention center. Wow. And that was done at the last minute, like less than a week prior to the election. So we had a lot of these weird things going on. And I wasn't really alerted to some to some of this stuff until you know a week out of the election, which really was a red yeah. flag for me. And I knew um, I had to be more conscientious of checking into the city of Green Bay election than probably what I normally would. And also with a week out, it's hard to make course corrections at that point because uh, the, the damage or the process are already set in place. Um, is it fair to say that there were private individuals overseeing the vote counting as opposed to career officials? Is that what happened in Green Bay? That I'm not sure because um, I, they were recruiting in different ways and we had the hiring of those individuals being done by someone outside of the municipal clerk's office. Wow. Um, in some of the emails that I reviewed, um, it clearly stated that they were not taking training prior to showing up at the voting location. They were given their duties then, and that, that in itself is a, a violation of election law because everyone has to complete uh, their level of training. It was very closely monitored by individuals who are normally not running elections, and some people actually who were trying to observe the election had bad experience with um, some of those indi individuals from the mayor's office. 
you know, it really undercuts the confidence everyone has when they see these irregularities and they just crop up. Last question. We've got about 45 seconds. When you look now, do you, as someone who oversaw elections for a long time, do you support or do you think it's a bad idea to allow private money to come in and go to the election clerks and go to the election judges, the election referees, or is that money that should just stay out of the system? Well, that money should stay out of the system. You know, the thing that happened with CTCL is with those agreements, if those municipalities did not follow what was in mm. those grant agreements, they had the authority to claw back those dollars. Right. So those would have been repaid. So I think that's where the biggest rub is. You know, had they been given money and had the authority to use it how they saw fit, um, but that was not the case. They had to use it how CTCL saw wow. fit. And if it wasn't used correctly, those monies would have to be refunded. It's just an unbelievable story, Sandy, and I'm so glad that you were here to tell us. I can hear from someone who's an election pro what really went on in Green Bay. I really thank you for your time, and I hope we can get to the bottom of this before the next election. Well, we need to be really on top of this because if this is how elections are going to go, we won't have election integrity. Boy, that is a very profound statement. Sandy, thanks again for your time today, and we wish you well. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. Just think about what you just heard in that incredible interview. All right, we'll be right back. Folks, Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, plus veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutritional packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. If you're like me and have a busy schedule that the last thing you want to worry about is what to eat or having to go to the grocery store, Factor makes it easy. As they are flexible to your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, usually in just two minutes. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash justnews50 and use the promo code justnews50 to get 50% off. That's the code justnews50 at factormeals.com. One more time, factormeals.com slash justnews50. Use the justnews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. All right, folks, welcome back to the final segment of tonight's special, securing our elections and protecting your vote. Our last guest tonight is Jason Sneed, the founder of the group known as Honest Elections. I think it's fair to say that Jason had a foresight that few of us had. He was worried already back in 2019 that the 2020 election might face difficulties, and he started Honest Elections to get ahead of those issues. I don't know many folks who were thinking that way two plus years ago, but Jason was. And that's why I'm excited to have him bring us in for a landing on tonight's conversation. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, you know, I want to start with this question. A lot of folks, many of them Democrats, say if there was no widespread fraud in 2020, there's nothing to worry about. But we're now seeing clear and compelling evidence of incompetence, mismanagement, chaos in places like Green Bay, Wisconsin, Atlanta, Georgia. Couldn't an election's outcome and voter confidence be just as shaken by mismanagement and chaos is by any evidence of fraud? 
Absolutely. You know, this has been a line that the left has been using for a long time now, actually, that we should wait until an election is actually stolen by widespread fraud before we address any problems in our election space. And I don't think that that's a good common sense way for us to approach something as important as the foundation of democracy. There are all sorts of problems that have been exposed, not just in 2020, but in prior elections, yeah, problems right. with mismanagement, with, uh, with poor practices and procedures that can be tightened up to improve the voting process. But ultimately, when voters watch uh, as, as rules are changed, as uh, elections unfold chaotically, even when there is no fraud, uh, it, it can certainly compromise, I think, voters' trust in the process and, and is certainly reason enough for states to take steps like what we're seeing in Georgia and, and, and Florida and Texas to improve the process for all voters. Yeah, that's really the key. And you talked about confidence. There's just a, a large part of the country that doesn't have confidence in how 2020 was conducted. And that's so essential for the future. If we get there, what needs to be done in the final months of 2021 to ensure we're on a path that all Americans can trust the results of the 2022 elections because it will become easier to vote and harder to cheat. Well, that's right. I think that that is the objective that every state should be pursuing. And so I think that uh, states should be focusing on a few specific areas. They need to focus on ballot integrity laws, that bringing voter identification requirements to the voting process writ large if they haven't yet already, but to absentee ballots in particular. You know, these votes are vulnerable, not just to fraud, but also to error and other problems. We need to do everything we can to improve the functioning of that process. And that starts with an objective voter ID standard that cuts down on, for instance, mistaken ballot rejections because signatures mismatch. That's not a perfect science. and We can improve that. I think that we need to also ban ballot trafficking in all 50 states so that voters are, are confident that their votes are being counted and aren't being uh, destroyed by partisan operatives who have a vested interest in ballots and have taken unsupervised possession of them. I think that we need to improve the voting process, the way that it actually works on the administrative back end, uh, so that we're setting up uh, voters and officials for success. I think we need pre- and post-election audits and total transparency so that when you see allegations of fraud, you can get to the bottom of them straight away and show conclusively either there was fraud and we need to take action to bring people to justice or there wasn't and voters can trust the results of elections. Yeah, that's such an important thing. Here we are six, seven months after the November election and the debate is still going on because we don't have those levels of certainty that we that we thought we would have. Um, it appears that the Democratic election federalization bill known as H.R. 1 or S1 is going to die in the Senate. Now, there are many other bills being portrayed as compromises like H.R. 4 that are cropping up. What do you think of those efforts? Is there some possibility of bipartisanship or are those additional bills really H.R. 1 warmed over? Well, I think that we should resist any temptation to have a federal takeover of elections. And whether that's called H.R. 1 or H.R. 4 doesn't particularly matter to me. I think that uh, right now what you see on the progressive left is the treatment of H.R. 4 as the backup plan. And that's why you see the way that that bill has been written. It's uh, allegedly about finding discrimination in voting. And yet it does not use any objective metrics to figure out which states are supposedly discriminating in voting. Instead, it targets practices like voter ID laws and, and procedures to clean up voter rolls, things that progressive 
progressive activists have opposed for years. It targets those policies specifically and prevents states from instituting new voter ID laws, for instance, without going to Washington and asking permission first. In other words, giving the federal government the power to block those laws. And it also has provisions in place that judge whether states are discriminatory and whether Washington should be in charge of their election rules, not based on things like minority voter turnout, but instead based on how often they've been sued. And one of the things that we saw last year was that the left was more than willing to sue to try to change voting procedures. In fact, more than 200 lawsuits were filed before Election Day. So that will become a, 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 a tool to essentially weaponize the court system and politically target states and put them under federal control. And that effectively allows um, either the Democratic Party or progressive activists to just play politics with our elections. And I don't think most voters will like that. Yeah, that's a very important dynamic to watch. I don't think a lot of people are uh, understanding of just how much the bait and switch is between H.R. 1 and H.R. 4. Uh, real quickly on the question of private money. We saw $350 million flow, flow from uh, Mark Zuckerberg's group, the Center for Tech and Civic Life, to the election referees, the election judges in localities. Do you think there's an appetite in America to put an end to that sort of intrusion of money on the election system? I do. And in fact, you've actually seen a number of states pass laws preventing private money from uh, from infecting our, our, our election process. I understand the temptation to accept this, but I, ha I think that we have to bear in mind that when you're effectively outsourcing the funding of our democracy to private individuals, you're opening the door to those individuals being able to exercise tremendous sway over how we conduct elections. And when they're putting money into targeted jurisdictions but not others, that raises some serious yeah. questions about whether they're playing politics with this. So count me as one of those that believe that our democracy should not be subject to the whims of billionaires or their agendas, that we should have public funding for public elections, and that we need to emphasize transparency in the voting process. Yeah, such important transparency is the key to so many things. We've got about 40 seconds left. I just want to ask, if you're a lawmaker in Wisconsin, Michigan, or Pennsylvania, you saw what's going on in Georgia, you're inspired by what's going on in Texas, what advice would you give them uh, for the rest of this year to make sure that 2022 goes better? Stay the course and keep fighting for fair elections. We all want it to be easy to vote and hard to cheat, and so do most voters. Three and four want voter ID laws, including most minority voters. Americans generally want elections with clear rules and outcomes that they can trust, and I'm delighted to see such interest in improving our elections for everyone. So I would tell them to keep fighting, and we'll keep cheering them on. Stay the course. That's great. Well, Jason, many thanks for what your group does, first off, and for the many insights you shared with us tonight. It's going to be an interesting second half of 2021. All right, folks, that wraps up tonight's special. As you head on to other things, like maybe watching my good friend Damon's six, Studio 6B show here on Real America's Voice, think about the stories and facts you just heard. Remember Sandy Juno's narrative of how professional election administrators in Green Bay, Wisconsin, got cast aside by privately funded, Mark Zuckerberg funded activists, who then changed the rules and paperwork in the final days of the election. Keep in mind that Wisconsin Supreme Court ruling that found tens of thousands of voters wrongly skipped voter ID on their absentee ballots. And consider what Georgia attorney Bob Cheeley's audit has already termed up in the form of chaos, mismanagement, and mistakes in Atlanta. And then ask yourself, is this the sort of elections we ought to settle for in America, the greatest democracy the world has ever known? Do you want such chaos that one day fraud could slip by? Do you really want to jettison protections like voter ID, signature matching, and secure ballots? 
And do you really want billionaires to use their money to dictate the rules of elections, like what happens sometimes in banana republics? That is why the debate we are having right now is so essential. You can secure our next election. You can protect your vote because we have the ability to make voting easier and cheating near impossible. The only question is whether our leaders will do what's needed. And with that, I bid you and your family a good night. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now.